Romans 16, verse 1. I, come, I commend you to Phoebe, our sister, who's a servant of the church in Sincrea. All right, stop there. That's a good start. Let's, let's get to know Phoebe here. I commend you to Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Sincrea. So this word servant is actually the same word deacon that you see in other places. Even when he gives orders for bishops and deacons have to be qualified with these qualifications. That's the same word. Servant and deacon is the same word. Uh, a better way for us in contemporary English to understand it is like a servant leader. So a lot of churches have deacons. Those are the leaders, servant leaders. In this case, it just says servant, but it's the same word used for deacon. Like when it says, likewise, the deacons must be great. The leaders must be certain qualification. Uh, or, or in Philipp, uh, Philippians 1, where Paul greets the bishops and the deacons and the church. Same exact word. It's calling Phoebe a deacon, a leader. And so keep that in mind here. Uh, Paul didn't have any problem acknowledging a, a women leaders. Verse 2, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. That sounds like kind of a, a coordinator, a, a leader, a, a, general, a manager, a supervisor. So it's okay to have women supervisors at church. I'm telling you, it's okay to have women supervisors and leaders and pastors and apostles and evangelists and prophets in church. It's okay. And so I know there's some confusing scriptures that have detoured and really just messed up entire denominations. Uh, and so I understand those scriptures and we'll teach from that a little bit, maybe even tonight. Uh, but, it, but just know that we're not ignoring those mistranslated and misinterpreted scriptures. We're not ignoring that, just saying, oh, we can have women. No, we have reason to know for sure That's right. that God has called and qualified and anointed women too. So we're not just ignoring things. We're not messed up. You can trust what we're doing here. If you have any questions, you can always ask because we can't teach on this every single week. The only trouble that you really have is, well, most of the trouble comes from chauvinistic men who have this attitude about women. Well, none of you men are like that because we've already whipped all that nonsense out of you. <laughs> People come with all this strange doctrine uh, that they grew up with or that they found. I found the answer. Uh, but then you're, what's going to happen? You come here, you're going to run into one with a stronger gift and understanding. I'm going to whip it out of you. It's just what happens. You've got to run into somebody that knows more than you. And they can prove it in Scripture. I'm not running off by myself. i got Scripture. So assist, this, assist Phoebe in whatever business she has need of you, for indeed she's been a helper of many and of myself also. Now that word helper is an interesting word too. It's the word prostatus. Uh, and in the Greek, it's the only time the word is used in the New Testament. She's been a helper. And the word actually literally means a woman set over others. A female guardian. A protectress, a patroness. You can look this up for yourself. Caring for the affairs of others and aiding them with their resources. Only time used in scripture. Verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Achilla, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my sake, for my life, 
Uh, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks to Priscilla and Aquila. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Epinet, this guy, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. Epinetus, Epinetus, Epinetus. You might want to name your kid Epinetus. Notice verse 3, though. It says, greet Priscilla and Achilla. Now, Priscilla is the woman. She's the wife. Achilles the husband. And several times it lists them in scripture because they helped Apollos learn the scriptures. But it's notable, and they say that uh, customary, it's always customary to list the husband first when you're discussing or greeting a couple. But in this case, it, it, it lists the woman first, the wife first. And many agree, theologians, theologians agree, that it's because she was actually the lead pastor of that church in their house. Now, we don't have to get all up about that, but it, does, it is interesting that they both are called the leaders of the church, and you'll see it over in other scriptures. Uh, let's see if I, if I have it quickly. Acts 18, verse 26, uh, this is when uh, Apollos was preaching, and he, 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 was just, he didn't know of the resurrection like he should have. He didn't know of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It says, so Apollos began to speak boldly in the synagogue after Priscilla, no, this is Paul. After Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. This is Apollos, sorry. Priscilla and Aquila took this man, Apollos, aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. Acts 18, 26, you can put it up. You got it right there. So, so both husband and wife explain something to a preacher. Looks like it's okay for women to talk to men. And they're like, wait a second, didn't Paul say women's not supposed to teach a man? Well, is Paul contradicting himself? No, there must be some other answer. He's not going to tell us one thing from the Lord and then say that it, you know, and then make points that he went the opposite direction. There's got to be another answer, and I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Verse 6, greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles. The word Junia is a female name. Okay, Junia is a woman, a girl. It's always been in the Greek language, that's a woman. Some have tried to say that it's supposed to be a man's name and it used to be Junica and they've tried to twist it, but uh, they've been uh, thwarted by higher theologians that said, don't twist it like that. Junia is a woman and she's an apostle. Who were also in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord, and Urbanus, and all these other fellows. Okay, uh, so let me, just, let me just do a quickie, if I can. Explain why this whole women not talking and preaching and leading in church has, is still around. Uh, one reason is because anytime you give a new Christian a Bible, they're going to read it, and it's going to look like you're not supposed to let women be talking in church. It says don't let women speak. I, I, I do not allow a woman to speak in church. Well, if that's the case, we're in big trouble. Some have tried to twist that up and say, well, they can't speak in the main auditorium, but they can speak in the back rooms, teach the kids and stuff. 
that's weird. They can, they can sing and they can exhort and they can talk on the microphone, but they can't teach. They can't. It's weird to twist it because it actually says, I do not let a woman speak. Church would not be any fun if the women could not speak. It would be shorter. But it would not be as exciting. Uh, let me just do, let's go to 1 Timothy 2 and just let me show you how you can better understand uh, this doctrine and this false doctrine that's continued for a long time in many places. And what I want to do is kind of read this backwards a bit. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, says this, Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. There's an element here of something that goes on in childbearing where a, a woman, a wife, can be helped if they do these things right. Who's they? Well, it's the husband and wife. So it's talking about having a baby. And in the, you know, in the realm of church life, you're supposed to be married before you get pregnant. So it's talking about husband and wife and childbearing in this verse 15. How do we know? Because you read verse 14. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Uh, really, it's talking about Adam and Eve. Now, Adam and Eve were married, weren't they? They were husband and wife. Adam and Eve were husband and wife. Anytime you see Adam and Eve, it's husband and wife and husband and wife and husband and wife. It's always husband and wife. And that's another topic uh, for another day, verse 14, being the woman being deceived or the wife being deceived. Uh, for Adam was first formed and then Eve. Verse 12, and I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Verse 11, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. Now, what I want to present to you is that this word called woman and this word called man is actually the same exact Greek word for husband and wife. So woman and wife and husband and man are the same exact Greek word that the translators have to decide each time which one is this context talking about. Well, I, I would present to you that because they're talking about childbearing, it has to be husband and wife. Because they're talking about Adam and Eve, it has to be husband and wife. So he's not going to change from man-woman to husband-wife in the middle of the context. He's talking about husbands and wives and the wife keeping uh, humble submission to her husband. This has nothing about who gets to open their mouth and let their vocal cords work. This has to do with wives submitting to their husbands. I, I know that's about as much applause as it usually gets because it's like, I don't, know, I don't know how you can say that. Okay, let me just show you. Uh, and the, the, so the theme of this, next time you read your Bible, it's a marriage issue, not a gender issue. Every time Paul addresses husbands and wives, even though it says man and woman, he's, he's, he's addressing a marriage issue of submission and not a gender issue. Because God has had no trouble calling women, anointing women, using women all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. We can prove it all to you. <clears throat> Uh, so let me just say this, the word for man and husband is the word A-N-E-R, aner, aner, uh, and it's translated man 156 times in the Greek, 
And it's translated husband 50 times. And the translators have to decide what's the context. The word for wife and woman uh, is gune, G-U-N-E or G-Y-N-E, pronounced gune. And it's translated as woman 129 times. And it's translated wife 92 times. So you can see how the same exact word has a, has a lot of use and has to be translated one way or the other. And there's no, only the context can tell you which is to be used. Let me give you an example. Go to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's the same exact word, gune, G-U-N-E. So it's either woman or wives. Which, which is it in this context? Well, he's t- the translator decided, Paul, the, the, the writer, was saying, wives, submit to your husbands. Great. Verse 23, for the husband, A-N-E-R, for the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, he's the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, let the wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. Stop there. In that same vein is where we see, I don't want the, the wife to usurp authority over her husband and talk over him, teach over him. There's got to be some submission. That's the reason that Paul was telling Timothy that same exact thing in the same exact context, wives need to be submissive. This is a major doctrine in the New Testament, that in marriages, the wife needs to be submissive to her husband. And, and all that means is there needs to be some honor and respect. It doesn't mean women can't teach. Doesn't mean men can't sit there and learn something from their wives, but it needs to be in order. It needs to be an agreed upon thing. Okay? <clears throat> I guess that's another door we could go through and teach that doctrine, but that's the context of all of these little passages where Paul's talking about husbands and wives and husbands and wives. It's not men and women. Uh, in no way is every woman under every man. When he says the head of the woman is the man, no, the head of the wife is the man. The head of the woman is not the man. All men are not over all women in any way, in any case, ever throughout all the whole Bible. There is no way that Bob, who comes in the church to visit one day, is over my wife. That's my wife. You're not over her. Well, I just can't sit there and learn from a woman. You have a big problem, mister. You have a big problem. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Did we solve it yet? We haven't solved it yet. We're getting there. I got, we got two, we got to have two or three scriptures. We got to have some stuff here, but I just want to present to you that next time when it looks like it's kind of odd, men and women, just change it to husbands and wives. It all makes total sense. Uh, so here's a good question. If, if, if wives are commanded not to talk, because the other scripture in first Corinthians 14 says that wives, wives can't, or women can't speak at all. Well, if women can't speak at all, nor teach anything ever to any. Uh, then we got a real big problem. So the, then the question becomes, did, did any women speak anywhere to men anywhere in the New Testament? And it's all over the New Testament. So let's just admit what's reality. Okay, let's do a quickie here. Did women speak to men? Well, in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, 
this is after they all spoke in tongues. Even the women were there in the upper room. They all spoke in tongues, and everybody heard them speaking the, the oracles of God in their own language. That was men and women. It wasn't just the men that got to hear, got to speak in tongues. It was women talking in tongues. But then Peter says this, verse two. I mean, uh, chapter two, verse seventeen. It'll be in the last days, says God, I'll pour out my spirit on all people and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Uh, old men dream dreams. I'll even pour out my spirit on, on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they'll prophesy. Well, who's the women going to prophesy to? Just other women and children? No, no, no boy over the age of 12? It's like, oh, no, no, we can't prophesy. You prophesy, lady. But, oh, wait, how old are you, young man? It's ridiculous. Then Acts chapter 18. Oh, wait, we already said that one. Uh, Acts chapter 21, verse 9. Philip had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Never says that they only prophesied to women. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. He says, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And I, and I ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side. Well, how do they contend for the gospel? Silently? Sign language only? Interpreting everything Paul was saying in some... Praise the Lord. Lots of women talked in the New Testament. There's lots more. Uh, we just need to be honest with it that once you see the, the, the gift of God, you just honor the gift of God. If you have a problem with it, tell Jesus he should not have put power on any woman. He should not have given any gift to any woman. All right, well, we're going to do that on a Sunday morning one day. And I'm going to, go, I'm going to take a whole hour and go through this for everybody in the whole wide world. But I just want you to get a head, a head start and a heads up here that there's some, some foundation for us knowing why it's perfectly fine and ordained by God for women to be preachers, pastors, leaders, apostles, anything that God has called and anointed, perfectly fine. The only reason we have any issue is because the translators did not have enough courage to take one more step and say, Ephesians 5, husbands and wives have order. In these other places, husbands and wives have order. It was a way to silence women. I don't know why they did it. Ridiculous. And it's been carried along for way too long. All right, let's move on to verse 11 of Romans 16. Romans 16, verse 11 says, Greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. And in the house of Narcissus, there was many mirrors and pools of water. No, it didn't say that? Poor Narcissus. You know, the, the myth, the old, the old fable, Narcissus fell in love with his reflection. He was so self-consumed, he died. That's where you get the word narcissist from. These, these extras I, I like to throw in are so, so important. Verse 12, greet uh, Tryphena and Traposa who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis who labored much in the Lord. 
Great Rufus chosen in the Lord. And there were many mirrors and pools of water in the house of Narcissus. That's a good one. And I do not allow a woman to laugh in church, <laughs> nor to laugh louder than her husband. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's not in the Bible. <clears throat> greet Rufus, chosen of the Lord, and his mother and mine. Greet uh, Ascentritus, Philegion, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philogus and Julia. Negrius and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. These are some names y'all might want to name your children. <laughs> They're Greek names, but you might. Roman names, Roman names, sorry, Romans. Greet one another, greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Uh, that's an interesting command, greet one another with a holy kiss. That's probably why a lot of Europeans still kiss. I don't know what a holy kiss looked like, but it might have been the little double side cheek thing. I'm sure it wasn't on the mouth. Um, it's one of the traditions that we leave behind in, in these days. So we just do a hug and a handshake and you do what you need to do. Um, but I did know a, a good brother in the Lord who... He took this to heart because Paul told this to a couple different churches. He took it to heart and he would, he's a kind of a big guy and he was always kind of scruffy and he would, he would hug you and he would lay one on you. He would lay one right on your cheek, right on your cheek. And, and I would, every time he would do it, I'd be like, whiskers. I, I've never felt whiskers on this face, uh, but I, at least I know, I know the Bible, so it's okay. It's okay. I know the Bible. It's okay. It's okay to feel the whisker. And he would always, he would do it with almost everybody, and he would remind them, well, the Bible says, greet with a holy kiss. He's like trying to train everybody that it's okay to kiss on the cheek. I didn't have any problem with it, but I just don't do it myself. One day I should have just gone like that. No, just kidding. That has stopped it right there. The point of the scripture is, hey, look, uh, greet each other. Even though you may not know each other, you're brothers, you're brethren. So let's make sure we greet each other. And I like to, you know, especially those, the Bible says, do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. And so when I'm out in public or when I'm amongst friends and I find a believer amongst the group, whether I know these people or I don't know these people, aha, special attention. I'm giving special attention to the believer. I don't care if they're not the most important person or the best person or the funniest person or whatever. I'm giving special attention to the believer person. Why? Because it's scriptural. That's how your heart should be. Your heart should be pliable so that this gets in you and you have this great esteem for the brethren. All right. Verse 17. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine 
which you learned and avoid them. Wow, that sounds pretty controversial. Yeah. Uh, he's telling the people that are in the truth to avoid other people. So we're not accepting to all doctrine. Paul addressed this in almost every one of his letters. He, he addressed some sort of conflict, some sort of theological difference. Uh, and then he said stuff like rebuke them, correct them, admonish them, instruct them, right. <laughs> avoid them. Right. I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. And, and, and I feel obligated to do this as well. And that's why in church, it, I'm not just giving you some nice, easy to swallow message every service. People say, oh, just, just preach the good news. Don't address all the controversies and stuff. Well, as a pastor, you have to. As an evangelist, you don't have to. In many meetings, you don't have to. But as a pastor, you got to take some time somewhere to address some of the controversies and help people understand the difference of why this is the right belief, this is the wrong belief, so just ignore that and shelf that and throw that away and keep this. Uh, so you really need a pastor to do that for you. Right. Teacher, anybody, anybody who's preaching the truth can help you sort out what's right and what's wrong, but Paul did it all the time. Note, but he says, note those, like mark those people that are causing these divisions. And so here at church, that's a big deal to me. So I expect our leaders, we train our leaders to, to be on the lookout and have your ears open for weird people that come in. Okay, people that come in with weird doctrines. Yes. We don't mind weird people as long as they believe right. That's why you haven't been kicked out. That's why all of you are still here. We, we accept all weird people. But... Weird doctrine, uh, we have to be alert to because it will, it will begin to spread and hurt people. And so if you ever hear something that's a little, listen, if you hear out there in the crowd, whenever, during church, if you hear stuff that really alarms you from somebody else, uh, maybe find a leader and just kind of run it by them. Or if you see a pattern uh, that's alarming, you have the right as a church member and as a partner here and as a family member here to, uh, you know, find out and, and maybe let somebody know very quietly, not in a judgmental form, but uh, so it's okay that we question doctrine. All right. And we have our leaders that are trained to, to really be attentive to some of these things. I don't, not, I don't need to know everything wrong that happens and that people say, and there's lots of mercy and patience and and, and time to repent and all that. So we'll hand it, handle it properly, but we also are obligated to protect one another. And so if people are bringing in strange doctrines, uh, you know, eventually I'm going to cover it. Uh, I know most of the, the false doctrines out there, they, they come around, they're the same old false doctrines that Paul was dealing with. <laughs> with a little bit of a different twist here and there, you'll see a new one pop up here and there. And I'll address it from the pulpit so we have scripture uh, but at the same time, you know, there's something you can do too to, to, to ward off and resist some of these false doctrines because they'll, they'll come in and taint people and take off and try to take a few. Uh, and it's just a strange thing. Or just cause dissension. You know, the fallen man likes to cause dissension. Have you ever accidentally watched a reality TV show? Their entire audience is, is, is creating drama, finding the most, you know, enticing drama and conflict 
And so some people are just built that way. They like that kind of stuff. All those documentaries you watch and all those, oh, sorry, sorry. The case of the missing or whatever, I don't know. It was the lead pipe in the conservatory. That's what, that was. Okay. Contrary to the doctrine which you learn and avoid them, apparently there's a doctrine you're supposed to learn, then you know what to avoid. It's not all free game, it's not all fair game. We're supposed to learn what's right, and so that's how we present it here. We expect that there's a right way to understand this entire kingdom. We're not perfect, there may be some gray air here and there, but for the most part, we know exactly how this kingdom and how this gospel is to be presented. That's the type of church you need to be in. Uh, and then you can resist everything else that you hear out there. So when you hear new stuff out there that you haven't heard in here, uh, try to side with us first rather than think, hmm, our church doesn't even know this. Eh, we pretty much do. Heard that before. We don't go there for a reason. I know it, it might sound egotistical, but we've been around it long enough. And, and not only have we been around long enough and have our own experience, we learned from seasoned preachers and teachers and real authorities in the body of Christ, uh, kind of like learning from Paul. <laughs> you know, we learned from people that have proven some of this stuff out. So it's not just, we're not just standing on our own two feet. We're standing on, on, on Paul's doctrine, the Lord Jesus Christ first. And then some others that have proven some of these things out and found a better way and the right way. Um, let me just mention some scriptures where he, he talked about avoiding this false doctrine. Um, and, and this is bad doc- this is false doctrine and bad doctrine all the way from not confessing Christ as risen all the way to what to eat and what not to eat, to the, to the women can't talk in church, to, to all the insignificant things plus the significant things. A- avoid the false doctrine. But here, here's a few scriptures. I'll quote them to you. Ephesians 4.14, we should no longer be children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Remember that? By the trickery of men, cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. 1 Timothy chapter 1 says this, I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus to Timothy, Paul saying, you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Back then they were, they were still trying to find their Jewish heritage and, and remember the genealogy and prove that, Hey, I'm, I'm better than you because I came from the line of so-and-so or something of the sort. And it's like that, 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 that evil demon has raised its head in modern day. And you've got Christians who have heard that maybe they're part of the actual lost tribe of Israel. And they got this whole historical pursuit of genealogy to see if they're special somehow and are Jewish somehow. And that leads to the false doctrine that somehow they're direct descendant of Jesus Christ. Naturally. False doctrine. All of that's false pursuit, false doctrine, but people get into it. I've seen it shipwreck at least two Christians that were spirit-filled. Shipwrecked them. They got all into this 
genealogy stuff. It's okay to like your genealogy for your family and do some fun stuff to see your own history, but don't try to tie it to spiritual reasoning. There are no genealogies necessary for you and I, except that we came from God. Jesus eliminated all bloodline esteem. He was the last genealogy that was important to make sure he came from the tribe of Judah, from the line of David, and all of the prediction from the Old Testament. And so you see in the New Testament that Matthew and Luke, both they chronicle Jesus' genealogy from different ways, different directions to show he proved it both ways. He came, he's the Messiah. He was the predicted one. He came from Mary, et cetera, et cetera. He's the last one that's needed. Therefore, if your great grandma was a a Christian or a preacher, it it gives no significance to you spiritually. Now you esteem that and you like that. And I've got some Christian stuff in my, I I see some letters that my grandpa and my great grandpa have written and they mention a scripture and they say, and they're reminding who they wrote it to, to read the scripture and don't be afraid and stuff. I'm like, yes. They're, man, they were Christian. They were believing the Bible. It's special to me in a, in a personal sense, but it doesn't make me spiritually more uh, qualified of any way. Make sense? But that stuff's been going on since then. Nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies that cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things that they affirm. So verse 5, the purpose, I'm in 1 Timothy 1, okay, verse 5. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. Okay, that, that's the heart of our lifestyle Christianity training, right? The purpose of the whole thing is this. Some have strayed from that and created other enticing teachings. He says, what does he say? Some having strayed have turned to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law. This is verse 7. 1 Timothy 3. Desiring to be teachers of the law. Do we have that today? Yes. You definitely have that today. You've got people totally saved, spirit-filled, all excited, loving God, worshiping God, leading people to Christ, who then start dabbling in trying to bring up the feast and resurrect the old feast days and make Christians learn them. And other law, jots and tittles. I think they're making a big mistake. And And if you challenge them, they will never listen. They are so ingrained in some of this false doctrine because it, it, it makes them feel special. By and large, 95% of the time, that's the reason. I've, I've tried to, to confront these. Others have confronted me, upset that I was talking down some of the false doctrines. The problem is I I have more scripture than they do. (laughs) Like they don't have any. Can you show me one scripture in the New Testament that says we're supposed to do that? I'll show you the 35 scriptures that say we're not. (laughs) But demonic deception is very deceiving. 
just clouds people. They just, it's just demonic. There's no other way because it's not rational. First Timothy chapter four, verse four says, every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving. Talking about what you can eat. You can eat anything. Every creature of God is good. Nothing to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving for it's sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. Poor old wives. Notice what he says. He's talking about eating. Eating. Everything, everything's edible. Receive it with thanksgiving, it's edible. You can even eat crickets, chocolate-covered ants, stuff like that. That was illegal in the Old Testament. I mean, you put chocolate or cheese on it, anything's good. But I just want you to see, in the context of you can eat anything, he says, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Because I bring this stuff up in church, and I know some people are thinking, why don't you get off the bacon thing? Why do you got to do that all the time? Because I want to be a good minister. <laughs> look, look, it's these little foxes that spoil the vine. It's these little ridiculous hang-ups that Christians have that mess up their conscience, inflate them in pride, and ruin all the real commandment. <clears throat> Paul told Timothy this, he said, but you have carefully followed my doctrine. It's like Paul wanted his people to follow his doctrine. It's okay, he had it from God. He was the originator of this new covenant doctrine. Jesus set it forth, commanded it, and Paul ran it. Paul explained it straight from Jesus. <clears throat> All right, praise the Lord. Go back to Romans 16. Uh, I'll quote this final one on the doctrine idea. 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word, be, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come, 2024, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. There's no more heaping up that could be you know, examined than modern day, Right? You got everybody online trying to make a name for themselves, coming up with, you know, uh, flamboyant ways to present a truth. Some of it's right, some of it's not right, but it's just overwhelming out there, the sensationalism in trying to gain an audience. So be very, very careful. Good word. <clears throat> okay, Romans 16, verse 18. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. So I'm not judging people in their pride level. I'm saying that's a reason why some of this continues and why people can't back away. They're serving their own belly. Makes them feel good about themselves. 
And by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I'm glad on your behalf. Uh, Let me just mention this simple thing. Eh, no, I don't really want to. Just means unmixed in, in, in the way that you see good and evil. All right. Verse 19, for your obedience has become known to all, therefore I'm glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. All right, now it's possible there's a double meaning here. Uh, We're not sure exactly what he's referring to. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet could be referring to the false doctrine propagators and the conflict they were dealing with, that soon God would wipe this out and erase that from their midst and all that. And it could be referring to the future when God crushes Satan. Uh, so the question then is, well, wait, is this already happened or not? It has, I thought Satan was already under our feet. He is already under our feet in the authority realm. He is not yet crushed completely. He is not obliterated. He's not tossed into the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. That won't happen until the angel grabs him by the tail, throws him in. Well, he doesn't have a tail, but it's a good image. Uh, We know that Jesus thwarted the devil and uh, usurped his authority. That he stripped him of his dominion in this earth, his full dominion in this earth. And he made a show of him openly and that all power has been given to Jesus now. And then Jesus has delegated all that power to us in current day. But we also know that you and I cannot kill the devil and we can't chain the devil up in the abyss. We can resist the devil so he can't touch us, but we can't stop him from everything he's doing. We can cast him out of people uh, or his demons out of people if they won't help. There's a certain amount of... uh, If we have permission and authority in people's lives, we can help them. We can certainly keep the devil off of us. And we can certainly keep the devil under our feet. So is he totally crushed? Not not yet. Uh, But but he has been thwarted. Jesus has triumphed over him in it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Verse 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius... Jason and, and Sosipater, that's a good name. My countrymen greet you. Come on, parents. Get with it. John is a good name and Mark is a good name. And those are good names, but Sosipater. I am Sosipater. <laughs> hey, listen, you're going to meet Sosipater in heaven. It's interesting that Paul puts all these names in here. You know, you'd think, well, if God was, you know, well, Paul's writing a personal letter to this church that he's helped. And he's a personal guy. He's a, you know, we, we should have personal relationship with one another. The apostle had personal relationship with all these people, cared about them, wanted to say hello to them. 
Verse 22, I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Did y'all know that Paul didn't actually pen this letter? Paul dictated this letter to Tertius, and Tertius wrote it for him. He did that with a couple of his letters. He wasn't the actual penner of it, scripter of it, but he was the originator of it. Verse 23, Gaius, my host and the host of the whole church, greet you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you, and Quartus, a brother. Verse 24, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Verse 25, now unto him who's able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. Paul called it his gospel several times. Uh, Isn't that amazing that it was so dear to him, he called it his gospel. He was the originator. He did get it straight from the Lord in Revelation, and he got the understanding of the mystery, and so he's like, this is really precious to him. Well, I'll be honest with you, it's really precious to me. The way I see it is it's my gospel too. Jesus shared his gospel with me. I got it in his mind. Don't you mess it up. And then Paul too, me and Jesus and Paul got this gospel. Don't you mess it up. You should feel the same way. This is our gospel. This is my gospel. This is what's changed my life, governed my life. This is everything that I need for life and God. And it's right here. Don't you touch it. Don't you mess it. Don't you, mis- don't you misinterpret it. Don't you misconstrue it. Don't you get false on me. He called it his gospel several times. He called it my gospel. He called it the gospel. He called it the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He called it the gospel of the glory of Christ one time. He called it the gospel of God one time. He called it the gospel of your salvation. It's the same gospel. It's just one gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And it encapsulates all these wonderful truths regarding uh, the spiritual events that happen, all of the spiritual connotation, plus the body of Christ, all the instruction about the Holy Spirit. And so it's all together forming the Lord Jesus Christ, head and body. Hallelujah. That is the gospel. He's alive. We're alive. It is the gospel. It's our gospel. It's his gospel. It's the gospel of God, the gospel of the glory of God. It's all this. And it's very special. Amen. It's very special. And so we treat it with honor. We treat it with honor. I was just sending out a, a notice to, uh, on, in ICFM, I'm the missions director. And so we, we set up conventions in other countries. We have directors in other countries uh, and coordinators in other countries that help set up these meetings. And they have to invite people and be the head and all these things. Well, I have to instruct them how to conduct these meetings that we do because we go preach. And they've set it all up. We go preach. But we need some order in those meetings. And uh, one, of the, one of the sets of order is that, hey, when we have one of these conventions, the, the main coordinators and the main ministers that have been invited, we don't want them getting up during the service and tending to conference business. And you'd be surprised how many people are running around doing all this stuff during the preaching of the gospel. It's like their job's done. They set the meeting up. We're here to preach to the others. And they're missing all the, the main point. And so, uh, you know, nine out of ten times I have to instruct the coordinator Uh, Listen, I need you to stay seated. I need you to stay in the meeting. This is as much for you as for everybody else. You need to stay and you need to hear what's being said and done and taught and preached and ministered to to all your people, whether it's your church or your your minister connections. You need to stay seated and don't be distracted with all these questions and issues and all this running around business. So often I'm sitting there preaching, all of a sudden there they go. I'm like, where are they going? I was just about to hit it. I got, I got a bunch of things to, to really help you. Get. 
I'm all, I've spent all this money to come overseas. I've spent all this money to get here, all this time, all this effort. This is the main thing here. This is the main thing. What's about to happen is the main thing. Why would you skip that? Because you got a little phone call because so-and-so doesn't know what to do with the food and it's because all these little things going on. And so you, you, we need to esteem this gospel. Amen. Amen. In, in the U.S., we don't do that. In the U.S., we have conferences. People are seated. Ministers stay seated. They stay in the front. They stay seated. They're good examples. They don't run around doing all kind of weird stuff. So there is order that's needed. And, and, it, and it really is birthed from a value that we put on this gospel. We're not just flipping around. Just, let me get some gospel. I don't believe that. <laughs> it's a bad habit. It's heaping teachers. It's just you, you being now the judge of everybody's everything. I actually have responded on social media to somebody that was rebuking a, a friend, a pastor friend. Some, somebody, just some, some you know, just church member somewhere rebuking. I said, you're not, you're not qualified to rebuke preachers. They don't do that. I don't do that. Yeah, but you rebuked her. Well, I know. That's why I don't do it very often. It doesn't even totally feel right, but... It's just, it's a bad habit. So don't, don't do that. All right. Verse 25. Now to him who's able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the, kept secret since the world began. Listen, you and I are, we, we know the secret. We got to partake of the secret. Don't you like secrets? I'm going to tell you a secret. Promise you won't tell anybody. Now, this secret you get to tell people. <clears throat> but the Old Testament was a big secret. It's a big mystery. And so now we understand it. It's glorious. It's supposed to be glorious. Don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted. It's a big deal. Christ risen. Think about it. If you were living back in these days and you heard that over, over in Jerusalem, uh, the, the so-called king of the Jews was killed and then he rose from the dead. You, it was the first time you heard that. It's like, what happened? I don't know if I believe that or not. But then somebody comes to preach it to you. And it, then the Holy Ghost informs you. So you don't just get a little newspaper. You get a preacher come with the Holy Ghost and tell you the truth. And then the Holy Spirit witnesses. And then you say, wow. I believe that. It's amazing. Verse 26, but now made manifest and, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith, to God alone, to God alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Notice this term here. He said that, uh, uh, and by the prophetic scriptures, the word prophetic means from a prophet, basically. That's all it means. Prof from a prophet. We, we, we use that term today in different ways. It really just means spoken from a prophet. Uh, we use it today to, to, to say a lot of things, really. It's like, well, uh, some, some powerful things happened. It was a prophetic meeting. Some uh, predictions were made. Some prophecies were given, prophetic. Uh, somebody saw a vision. It was prophetic. Well, yeah, okay, fine. Some people say just being led by the Holy Spirit, and they... they 
just because you're led by the Spirit and you have some manifestation of the Spirit in your life, oh, you're very prophetic. Eh, not necessarily. Prophetic would be from a prophet, and it's not really used. That's the only time it's used in the New Testament. So we don't want to overuse that term. Uh, as long as we know what it means, it's fine. Verse 27, at the end, it says, amen. 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 That's it. You just were read the, the letter that Paul wrote to the Roman church. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. What would the letter say to us? I don't know. I should do that one time and write a letter that I think the Holy Spirit would say to us. Oh, yeah, we do. We write letters to you all the time. Thank you for joining Pastors Chaz and Joni today from Houston Faith Church. If you're looking for a good home church in Houston, Texas, we'd like to invite you to be our guest anytime. What you'll find is that Houston Faith Church is highly committed to the Word of God, the love of God, and the Spirit-filled life and ministry that Jesus expects. We know that everyone wants to make a difference in this life, and that the Great Commission of the Lord Jesus Christ is the main thing for all of us. You'll find your purpose here and grow strong in faith at Houston Faith Church. Find more faith-building resources on our YouTube channel or subscribe to our free audio podcast. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. See you soon.